In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Let us pray. Gracious Comforter, who from eternity proceeds from both Father and Son, teach us the word which the Father gave to his Son, so that we might worship and glorify that eternal love from which you proceed. Make your home in us, so that we may ever be at home with you. In short, dear Lord and giver of life, Teach us to love Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Dear giver of life, give us life. Dear giver of Jesus, give us Jesus. Give us life by giving us Jesus, who gave his life into death to bear our sins, and who rose again in glory to reconcile us to God. We ask this in Jesus' name who lives and reigns forever with the Father and with you, whose life and kingdom you alone can give us. Amen. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Those who love Jesus keep his word. The Father loves those who love Jesus because those who love Jesus keep his word. It is very important to God that we keep his word. That's why he gives us his word. It's very important that we keep his word. But doesn't this seem to make God's love for us dependent on our love for his son? Is our love for Jesus and our keeping of his word the cause of the Father's love? For us? Of course not. This would be impossible. We love him because he first loved us. Oh, what an awful thought that God's love for us would ever be based on our love for Jesus. For who then would be able to know whether his love were strong enough, or pure enough, or focused enough, or enduring enough, or patient enough? Who then would know whether he kept Jesus' word well enough? Since Jesus tells us in his word to love as we are loved, yet who among us can do what we are bidden to do? We love Jesus. We love each other. But our love for Jesus and for those whom Jesus loves is a very poor basis for God's love for us, isn't it? Or do we really love him like we should? Do we keep his word like we should? And so it appears that this is a reckless way for our Lord and Savior to speak. But of course it isn't. It can't be. Jesus knows how he speaks, for he knows what he has heard. He is the eternal word of God. His very essence as the second person of the Trinity necessitates that he knows what he says. His words are spirit and life. Far from causing confusion, therefore, Jesus leads us out of confusion. Far from being reckless, 
Jesus is very deliberate and clear and mindful of our safety. Of course, our love for Jesus doesn't make God love us. It's the opposite. The Father sent his Son to save us from sin, death, and hell. He did this out of love for us. He loved us before we knew to love Jesus, before we wanted to love Jesus. He loved us while we were still his enemies. He sent his Son to his own enemies. He sent his Son to his Son's own enemies. The Father and the Son have the same enemies. The Father sent his Son to be treated the way enemies are treated. He loves his son. He loved, his love for us is in his son. So he sent his son to us to bear in his body and soul the punishment that we, his enemies, deserve, so that by laying on him the iniquity of us all, he might make peace by his blood. The blood of God's only begotten son, the blood of our spotless and innocent brother. Jesus did not convince the Father to love us. The Father loved us. That's why he became man. And the Son agreed with his Father's love for us. That's why he became man. No one forced him to. They were in agreement. And this, even though the Father's love for us required that he condemn his own beloved Son in our place, even though the Son's love for us required that his loving Father hide his face in unworldly wrath, against our sin, which he alone would take upon and into himself. But they agreed in their love for us because they agreed in their love for each other. The Father and the Son agreed in their love for us, even knowing what it would cost, because they agreed in their love for each other. The love with which they loved us is the love with which they have loved each other. What a profound truth. That the Father and the Son agreed with each other in their love for us on the basis of the fact that they loved each other. It is as St. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 concerning this precious mystery. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Note those words. Because of his great love with which he loved us. The greatness of this love is founded on the love within God, the love between Father and Son, from which the Holy Spirit proceeds. It is founded in eternity. It is revealed, though. The greatness of this love, which is from everlasting to everlasting, is revealed in time through the suffering and death and resurrection of Christ. It is made known to us through the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel proclaims a love that is eternal. It is not a love that God worked up in himself in order to have pity on us. His mercy is not the love of damage control. No, his mercy toward us is the same love that defines him as God. He is rich in mercy. 
The love with which he had pity on us is the love by which the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are united as three distinct persons in one divine essence. What a marvelous mystery. What we are reconciled to is beyond our knowing. The love of God toward us by which God saves us is the love of God by which God is God. And this brings us back to this very important point that Jesus makes regarding the love by which we also must love him. Jesus says it even more directly a couple chapters later in John 16, as we heard a couple weeks ago, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. And today we hear him say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. We see some confusing causation here. What causes whose love? I asked earlier, isn't our love for Jesus a poor basis for God's love for us? And it surely is. That is, if by our love we mean a different love than the love of God. That is why Jesus doesn't try to elicit our love in order to make our love the foundation of anything. For what would he elicit? What is in us? What longing is there in our hearts that Jesus must appeal to in order to draw out and fan to flames the love that he and the Father will be honored by? There's nothing but sin. There's love of sorts, but it's self-love. It's the love that is willing to give up all good things for momentary bouts of pleasure. But there's no valiance in that. There's no daring courage or true sacrifice in that. There's foolishness. There's only bartering, trading the supreme good for temporal goods, which aren't goods at all, except by the fact that they come from the Father of Lights. There is Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, if that's a sacrifice, it surely isn't a holy one. It is short-sighted and selfish, and it shows contempt for his Father's love and for the promise of his Father's God. Oh, there is love of sorts, it is a false love. It is the love that demands of others. It is love of praise. It is the love of power. It is love of pleasure. It is love that doesn't commend oneself to the mercy and kindness of God or the mercy and kindness of anyone, but that distrusts others and uses others and thinks night and day on how to get the best deal in life. Is this what Jesus appeals to? Is this the heart from which he draws out the love that he speaks so highly of when he says that if anyone loves him, he will keep his word, if only you just love him? Is it this natural love in us that he reforms or refocuses maybe into a godly love so that God himself is pleased to make his home in us? Most certainly not. The love that naturally fills our hearts is nothing but sin that Jesus came to suffer and die for. And to whatever degree our natural love and affection might take the appearance of something noble and pure, something worth writing books about or singing old songs about, well, to the same degree that our love looks noble and pure, man boasts of it as though it were righteous enough to stand before God and to merit his love. The human love is either base and self 
vile self-service, or it is pompous self-righteousness that ignores God as the highest good and the source of life. And if you don't believe it, search your heart. And if you still don't believe it, then ask the Holy Spirit to. In any event, such love must be drowned and uprooted. Such love must be denied and given no credit. Such love is not the love of God. Such love deserves not the name of love. It must be crucified. It must be replaced. We need the love of God. We cannot love God with human love. Not because we don't have enough human love to love God as much as we should. No, but because our human love is the wrong sort of love. So corrupted it is by sin. Isn't the sort of love that is able to love God. See the love of God in Christ. That is the sort of love by which God can be loved. No other love loves God. See the sort of love that stands in eternity and from eternity and for eternity. See this sinless and selfless love revealed to the nations by means of the world's sin being put to the charge of God's Son. And see this love offered to the world where the Holy Spirit proceeds from Father and Son and gives us not just a greater measure of love than we can produce, but a new sort of love that only a new song can praise. A new sort of love that is itself the love of God for us. The new sort of love whose foundation is in eternity and which forms the basis and binding of the existence of God himself. We find God's love for us in the love shared between Father and Son. We find God's love for us in that love that the Holy Spirit teaches us to know. It is not just more love than we have. It is better love, true love, that replaces our evil and fake love. It is love made known to us and made ours only where the word that the Father gave his Son and the word that his Son fulfilled is taught to us by the Holy Spirit in the word of Holy Scripture. Dear Christians, when Jesus says that if we love him, we will keep his word, he is teaching us to despair of our own love. He is teaching us not to be deceived. He is being extremely kind and gentle with us. Because he is teaching us to give up a useless and vain and even blasphemous quest. To persuade our own hearts by our own reason and strength. To become what God would love. No, we find God's love for us. Not deep in ourselves. We find God's love for us in Christ. Jesus is teaching us not to lose heart when we feel in ourselves the selfishness of our sin and our lust and our anger. He is proving that our hearts are not the source of the love that God requires and the love that God rewards. He is. And that is why we keep his word. That word which teaches us to know God's mind is the same word that teaches us to know God's heart. The love of God that is poured by the Holy Spirit into our hearts 
who is given to us, is poured into our hearts through the words that the Holy Spirit has caused to be written for our learning. Learning and loving go together. He who loves Jesus loves Christian doctrine. That's what Jesus said. He who does not love Christian doctrine thinks that the source of the love by which he will love God can be found in his sinful heart. To despise learning from God is to despise the source of God's love for us. It's hard to love what God promises because we try to do so with the wrong sort of love. We try to work up zeal and lively commitment and we long for proof in our hearts whether by some sort of peaceful feeling or excitement or some still small voice that the Holy Spirit truly guides us. And when we don't feel it, we become despondent and sad. And the expectation of many today for the outward manifestation of the Spirit is one that disappoints. There is no promise that we will speak in tongues or receive visions or anything of the sort. These proofs on that first Pentecost were not intended to tell us where to look, but to prove the reliability of the message that began to be preached on that day to all nations. And that message tells us still to find what we need to love God in our hearts, but to repent of what is in our hearts. We find what we need to love God in his word, which gives to us the love of God by which we love him back. If it's hard to love God, or what God promises on account of our sinful desires that constantly stray towards what God forbids, that it's hard to believe because our hearts are still full of sin in this earthly life. If our hearts are tugged aside, so much more will our minds stray. And we begin to think that the Holy Spirit teaches that what he teaches in his word is boring or too much or unnecessary and useless. And so in regards to what our hearts desire, no less in regards to what our minds grow shamefully disinterested in, we must live in repentance. We repent of what false notions we have of love by which we hurt one another, use one another, and by which we treat God's word as something of little value to us when other pursuits take priority. And we repent of our, our own ignorance. We seek the word of God, or the love of God, in his word, which enlightens our minds. When we sing as we will in two weeks, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. We are expressing more than some feeling that fills our hearts. It's nice when that feeling matches. When you really do feel it, obviously, you pray for that. But we're expressing more than what we feel. We're expressing something that we may not always feel much at all. But we express what we know. To say that you love God with all your heart is a confession of who owns your heart, who rules your heart, and whose love alone can
can save it. And this means, this is what it means for God to make his home in us. He doesn't change his dwelling. He doesn't choose to live somewhere other than where he has always enjoyed living, somewhere not as nice or accommodating or splendid. Jesus isn't talking about God making a concession to his own comfort and convenience and choosing to leave heaven and live in your heart instead. No. His dwelling is in the heavens where your heart must be also and where you lift your hearts. Christ is ascended to the Father's right hand where he exercises all authority in heaven and earth. God's dwelling is where his love reigns. His dwelling is wherever his word is firmly fixed. And so rather than preparing our hearts with proof that we're filled with the Spirit, we let him prepare our hearts by teaching us to embrace and ever hold fast that love which his word teaches us to know. He teaches us to love his love by teaching us his word. We love God with God's love. Think of that. We love God with God's love. God doesn't love God for us. He invites us into the activity of his love. This is what St. Peter means when he says that because we have such exceedingly great and precious promises, that we may become partakers of the divine nature. We partake of the divine nature when we are loved by God. Because when we are loved by God, we love God with God's own love. We find the love of God by keeping his word, by holding on to it, by trusting it, by willingly and gladly hearing and learning it. It is the only place we find God's love. Jesus gives us peace that the world can't give because he loves unlike any love in the world. And you find this love in Christ for you who shows you the Father. Whatever ignorance you are frustrated by, whatever dis deceitful desires you are tempted by, whatever it is that you wish you were filled more with or understood better, it all zeroes in on this that you believe your sins are forgiven, that you receive the forgiveness of sins. Here begins all understanding and wisdom because here begins the knowledge of the love that passes all knowing. By teaching you Christian doctrine that the Holy Spirit teaches you in the Bible, that you learn in church, even when you don't think it's explicitly or specifically the gospel, what the Holy Spirit is doing is teaching you all things. He is teaching you the width and breadth and height of that love. It passes knowing, but you know Christ. And knowing Christ, you know the Father who loves you. And knowing this, the Holy Spirit whose temple you are, prepares you as a worthy abode for the fullness of God. The love within the Godhead is not self-love. It is not the sovereign Lord God loving himself. It is the Father loving the Son and the Son loving the Father and the Holy Spirit extending this love to us in the truth that he speaks. And so the love we learn from him is not a self-love. It is a love that learns from God how to love one another. It is a love that learns from God how to believe that he has loved us. And so believing, 
to live forever in his unspeakable mercy. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.